Family Matters is a ministry committed to seeing families transformed through the power of God's grace. Its founder and executive director, Dr. Tim Kimmel, speaks nationally and has been a guest on several national TV and radio stations. He has also authored 13 books. Tim has served in many capacities at SBC since his family began attending in 1976, and he is currently a member of our elder board. Please welcome our friend, Dr. Tim Kimmel. Hi everyone. It's always fun and makes me nervous as can be to speak in my home church, but I'm glad to be here with you. And I want to welcome all those folks watching us online, our great congregation down here at Cactus, and our, our, uh, the folks over here at Grace Chapel, and the congregation where Darcy and I are, right across the way there at Venue. Well, let's have some fun today. You have permission to laugh if you need to, um, because I, I, I just get a kick out of God's Word and how He can touch our lives. Uh, the, uh, to to kind of set the stage for what I want to do, Let's slip through a crease in time. We don't have to go back too far. It was my senior year of high school, spring semester. You say, oh, yeah, that's a long time ago. Actually, it is. It was 50 years ago this year. But senior year, uh, spring semester, April. It was the first week of April, a Friday. Just after lunch, I was in civics class. So it's about 12.45, 1 o'clock. Class hadn't been gone long when uh, a messenger came from the administrative offices and got our teacher's attention and handed him a note. He looked at it and then he looked over at me, said, uh, Mr. Kimmel, the vice principal wants to talk to you. Uh, oh man. Now, in most schools, the vice principal is the person that disciplines everyone. And I knew this vice principal very well. He knew me on a first name basis. He was actually the vice principal when we were in junior high, and then he, he transferred with our class over to my high school, which is Annapolis High School in Maryland. And so the whole way over there, oh, what have I done now? And what's interesting is this guy had actually expelled me from school twice. <laughs> Once in the eighth grade. Get this, I was just reading a book. I had a little novel down here, and he, there was a window by the door, and he was out in the hallway, saw me, he, hanged out, he expelled me for a day. And then he expelled me my sophomore year for three days for participating in a food fight in the cafeteria, which I did not start. I have an alibi. I have witnesses. I was just trying to defend the honor of my table. So anyway, I get there. He's, he's got his arms crossed, leaning against the jam of his door, and he motioned me in. And I, I came in, and he shut the door, and he turned around, and he said... You know Martin Luther King was killed last night. And I said, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, how could you not know? I mean, we'd all come to school with very heavy hearts that day because the night before, a man had gunned down uh, Dr. King as he was standing on a balcony at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. And, 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 and so he came to school. And plus, this is a large school, uh, over 3,000 students, 40% of more Afri African-American students. We'd all been uh, classmates since seventh grade and been studying together and playing sports. So yes, this was a heavy time. And so he said, 
things are coming apart at street level in Washington and Baltimore, so they, they told us to send the kids home, and they're, they're afraid it's going to happen in Annapolis. The buses are on their way. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to go over to the PA system and interrupt all the classes and just say something about what happened, and I want to hand the microphone to you, and I want you to pray for Reverend King's family and pray for us. And when you say amen, I'm going to tell them, you know, okay, class is dismissed, the buses should be here. And I'm looking at him, he must have me confused with someone else. <laughs> I want to say, it's me, Tim. You, you, remember, you've thrown me out of here twice. But something had occurred a year before that maybe was why he, he had called on me. Because a year before, my, the spring of my junior year, uh, I, I was brought up in one of those homes where you went to church all the time, I had wonderful folks, but a lot of people call them Christian homes, and I had believed everything, but it was all pretty much up here. It really hadn't sunk down here very much, especially if you look the way I behaved as a teenager. I was such a goofball. But there was a girl in our neighborhood who was from a family that never went to church, or, and so, but she was kind of searching for answers, and she started attending our youth group, and on one particular Sunday night, she had heard the story of why God sent his son Jesus to the earth to, to take on human form so that he could ultimately get to a place where take, he, could, he, could, uh, he could be the substitute for our sin. He could take our sins on himself and pay the price for our sin, which was death, and die in our place, and then offer us forgiveness and eternal life. And so I was giving her a ride home that evening, and, and she just kind of said, boy, you know, this whole thing about Jesus and his forgiveness, and, 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 and I, I just feel like I'm on the outside looking in. And I said, well, you know, you can change that. You, you, can, you can ask him for forgiveness. You can ask him into your heart. He'll come into your heart. He'll forgive you. He'll set you free. He'll give you that gift of eternal life. I said, well, could, could you help and I, well, yeah. So I pulled a car over the side of the road, and, and I just kind of prayed a little bit. And then she started talking with God and asked Jesus to come into her life. Well, when I, when I, went, I dropped her off, and I went home, and I thought, boy, you know, Lord, I, 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 I've been such an idiot. I, I'm, I'm giving up this fight. You can have, you can have me. By the way, that, that girl was Darcy. <laughs> and uh, we ended up falling in love and getting married. Been married for 45 years now. So, so maybe, maybe uh, it, it was because of that, because when that happened, it was a complete transformation for me. I mean, I, I had focus like I'd never had. I had purpose, and, I, and I, I, my, my behavior changed, my attitude changed, my grades radically changed. And then shortly after that, I felt God was calling me into ministry. But, but in spite of what had happened in my life a year earlier and the brevity of the moment, when he made that request, I felt absolutely unprepared and thoroughly unqualified. So I look at Mr. Best and I said, okay. You, you know, there are times when God calls on us out of the blue to do something we've never done before don't feel inclined to do, and definitely don't feel qualified to do. Sometimes it's in a, it's in a moment that, that he needs. Sometimes it's a protracted period of time for a long period of time where he wants us to do it. You know, how we respond has a whole lot to do with some factors that need to be in place in our life. And that's what I want to talk with you about. And we're going to look at some scripture, but before we do, why don't we ask God for some help? to see what he wants us to see in this. Lord, thank you for everybody here. Thank you for each one of their lives, their stories, for their backstories. 
Lord, you know each one of us well, and you love us all completely. I pray, Father, that you will give us hearts ready to hear what you have to say, and, and even better, ready to receive what you have to say, and, and ready to let you transform us more like you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I want to I want to look at a very familiar passage of scripture. If you go to church much or you've uh, worked your way around the Bible, and it's in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Look, you can get your Bible out. We'll have it up here or get it on your app on your phone. And after I read it, you'll know why it's so familiar. It goes like this. It starts out like this. Now, when they had, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll, and we'll send it back here. Immediately, you'll send it back here. And, and they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and so they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. All right, this is the famous triumphal entry of Jesus that we celebrate every year on Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter. And, it, and it's the, 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 the start of the Passion Week. Let me set the stage for you. It's been three years since Jesus started his public ministry. It's time for him to make his move and to do what he came here on earth to do. He was sent by, by, by his father down to take on human form, which we celebrate at Christmas time, and, 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 but ultimately to die in our place, to be a, 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 um, a, a sacrifice for our sin. And in five days, all hell would break loose. And this same Jesus that is paraded, being paraded into Jerusalem would be hanging on a cross outside of town on Friday. Fortunately, he would raise from the dead on Sunday. Now, he wanted to kick off his final week on earth with a royal parade. I mean, after all, it's not that he was the king of kings or he was going to be the king of kings. He is the king of kings. Now, it's normal in these kind of settings, I think, to, for, for people involved, uh, the, the main people involved, to wear clothes and adorn their mode of transportation in a way that complements the stature of who they are. Uh, we, we've actually seen a royal, a royal uh, entourage up close. Darcy and I were uh, uh, participating in an event in Amsterdam back in July of 1986, and we decided we'd stop into London for a couple of days because we'd never been there. And the, the, the days we were there, we were there for three or four days, but it just so happened that weekend, that Saturday, Prince Andrew was going to marry Lady Ferguson. And on the day before, we were down by Westminster Abbey, and we already saw the thousands of people who were, uh, had been camping out along Whitehall there, the big boulevard that makes its way on down and curves down around, and you can go to Buckingham Palace, where, where, where the royal family would come. And Darcy said, boy, I sure would love to 
be able to see them up close and personal. And I thought, wow, that's quite a wish slash order. And, uh, <laughs> but it turned out to be easy to solve. And I just talked with the right policeman about when they were gonna take down the ropes that were, they, they were blocking people so they could cross the road. When are you gonna drop these down? And uh, he told I me mean, precisely when, we were right there. And when they dropped them down, we had a front row seat. We saw Queen Elizabeth and, and, and her husband, Prince Philip. We saw uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana and the, the royal brats, little William and Harry. They were cute little kiddos. And, and, but, but you know what got me is, man, the, the, the pomp and the pageantry, the, 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 the uniforms that the men wore and, and the, 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 the things that the ladies had on and, and all the jewelry and, and then the carriages, the gold killed carriages and then horses, they were biggest horses you've ever seen, and all tacked out, amazing. Uh, one thing I thought as they went by, boy, they're royalty, we're not. <laughs> it became obvious, no, no, Jesus is a king, but like no other king. He's going to have a prey, but he didn't plan it the way typical royalty would. Because royalty tend to be aloof, you know, and, and set themselves apart. And sometimes they come across as, as kind of uh, uh, above the rest of us, although they, they might be very humble, fine people. It's just that's just the nature of the way they are presented. Well, Jesus was at street level. Ground zero of the human drama, up close and personal. People could actually touch him as he went by. And that's the whole point of the incarnation of, of God's son. He, he, he took on human form because it was God's way of coming down to our level because that's where he needed to come to rescue us from the sin that kept us from him. And Jesus was dressed like a common person. And, and instead of a beautiful horse with, uh, you know, a handcrafted saddle and, 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 and gems on, on, the, on the bridle, he, he, he was on a lowly beast of burden covered with sweaty robes that had a layer of Palestinian dirt on them. Uh, you know, recently, uh, you, you might have tuned in to watch uh, Prince Harry marry Meghan Markle. Well, this would be the equivalent of Prince Harry pulling up to St. George's Chapel there at, Win at Windsor Castle and jumping out of a, a Honda Civic wearing cutoffs and a, and, and a, and a dirty T-shirt. It's like that. Well, well look... Okay, so you got the setting. Now, there's a ton of angles we could go at to look at this thing. There, uh, there's, uh, uh, when you want to unpack a biblical passage like it, you can look at it from Jesus' perspective or from the disciples. You could look at it, we could look at it from the fickle crowd. I mean, this same crowd, some of these people that were yelling Hosanna on Sunday were screaming, crucify him by Friday morning. And, and then it, this, this thing fulfills a major prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 in the Old Testament. The route they took is very significant when you look at it in the big picture of God's unfolding drama, you know, of, of redemption. But we could, how about we save that, all those angles for another day? Because there's some life lessons that are camouflaged within this biblical narrative, and they're hiding behind all the theological nuance that's in the foreground of this passage, and there are lessons drawn from a character that most Bible teachers would only give passing mention to, mainly because this character, uh, it plays a part more in the background. This character is more like a prop, and the biggest reason why they probably wouldn't give this character much attention is because this character isn't a person, it's an animal. It's a donkey. I want us to focus in on a donkey and to learn some life lessons from it. And you're saying, hold it. Can you do that? Is that legitimate? Hey, it worked for Shrek. 
That donkey was clever. He was witty and winsome. He said, but wait a minute, this is Scottsdale Bible Church. That's the middle name of this church. We take the Bible seriously, and we don't want you playing fast and loose trying to draw life lessons for human beings from animals in the Bible. I don't even think, you say, I don't even know whether that's the theologically valid. Well, I don't want to be a name dropper, but Jesus once said, you know, the kingdom of God is like this seed that this farmer threw out. He compared our hearts to soil. He used a, a fig tree later on in the Passion Week to teach us a lesson about obedience. In Isaiah, it says, you know, those who hope in the Lord, they'll rise up on wings like eagles. In, 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 in Proverbs chapter 6, they use an, the way ant, the diligence of an ant to teach lazy people lessons. Of course we can learn life lessons from an animal in the Bible or dirt or, or seed or whatever. There's no, act, there's no accidental things in the Bible. And so that's what I want us to do. Plus, think about it. Think about it. It's, it's summer. It's SBC. And Jamie's not here. Let's have some fun. That's my, I hope Jamie's getting a lot of good rest. He works hard for us. Here's what I want to do. I want us to isolate four characteristics in this donkey that made him useful to God and then apply them to our life. You with me? In the first lesson we find in verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when they were near, they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. The first lesson I think this donkey teaches us is to be used by God, you've got to be available. He got to be available. He was where the Lord expected him to be when he needed him. He wasn't wandering off. And he was prepared to go when the Lord called him. And he assumed a submissive and willing attitude immediately. You know, there's, there, there's some things that I think we can uh, have going on in our life that I think make it hard for God to be able to call on us because it, it keeps us unavailable to him. Let me just mention three of them. Well, I think one thing that keeps uh, us from being available to God is when he occupies a compartment of our life rather than owns all of it and oversees all of it. You know, he's kind of like, um, uh, it's, it's easy to treat him like a divine spare tire. And, and, and you, you pull him out when you have some kind of a blowout in your life, some, some crises. You know, I, I was, uh, one weekend, I was, this is several years back, I was speaking in Baltimore. Darcy was, uh, uh, it was Saturday afternoon, she'd gone to a wedding, and she was on her way home when she had a flat tire. And she called me and said, Tim, I had a flat tire. Oh, man, that's, that's yeah, that's bad. And, kind of, well, I need help. Y yeah, and you're calling me, right? Yeah. I said, okay, now, close your eyes, and I want you to picture the map of the United States, okay? Now, you're way over on the left side, down towards the bottom, and I'm over all on the right side around, and said, I know where you are, I just don't know what to do. And I remember that our friend Corey and his wife, Gail, Corey Shutnik, who was our family pastor here, had also gone to the wedding. I said, listen, uh, let me call Corey. So she hung up, and I called Corey. I said, hey, he had a flat tire. This is where he is. No problem. They weren't even home yet. He said, we, I'll circle back. And they came. By the way, they had to get out the owner's manual to figure out where the tire was and the jack was. 
And see, many times, that's what it's like when we need God. We, can, we have to go try and come to church. Will somebody tell me the basics here? Because he's such a compartment of our life instead of where he rightfully belongs, in charge of it all, overwhelming it all. You know, another thing I think that keeps us from being available is when we treat God like a heavenly hitchhiker. We're willing to let God ride along in our life so long as it fits into our bigger plan. And it's convenient. And his desires are easy to accommodate, and he doesn't push us very much out of our comfort zone. You know, I, I grew up in a rural part of Maryland, south of Annapolis, and from about 11, 12 on up to 16 when I had my own license, if I wanted to go somewhere, I, I would hitchhike. It was just standard back then. My parents had no problem with it. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I, let's say I'm going, I want to go to Annapolis, and uh, somebody pull over and pick me up, and they always say, well, where are you heading? I'm going to Annapolis. I said, well, I'm going on into D.C. I'll drop you off at Route 2, and you can catch a ride from there. That was standard. Well, it's kind of like we pick up Jesus in our life because we think that's a good idea. And then he says, he says, hey, here's where I'm, I'm heading. And great, well, I, I can kind of take you kind of near there. Well, no, 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 no. I want you to, let's go there. No, I, I, I don't want to go there. Well, let, let's go there. We're, we're going to go there. Excuse me. I'm driving. You're the passenger. Let's talk about that. Let's switch seats. I'm a better driver than you are. You ride, I'll drive. Pardon me, but this is my car. Let's talk about that. And he opens up the glove box, takes out the registration. He says, look, sign this thing over to me. I, I know better how to take care of it. I know better where to go. I'm a better driver. See, tip, see, actually, he's not asking anything that he doesn't have a right to ask because when he died on the cross, he paid for us. He bought us with his blood. <laughs> to set us free from our sin, to give us a relationship with God. So he has every right to do that, but many times we just treat him like the hitchhiker and still want to keep be in the driver's seat. And God says, no, trust me on that. And by the way, he's not trying to take us, you know, drive us off a cliff. He's trying to give us a good journey, a safe journey, a, a right journey, a righteous path. He wants to do good things in us and with us and for us and says, no, 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 no. But then there's a, a third thing that I think can keep us from being available to God, and that's unchecked sin in our life. Now, look, all of us have sin in our life. All of us have struggles with sin. That's, uh, that's ongoing. But the key word there is we struggle with it. When you're struggling with sin, it means you know it's sin. You acknowledge it as sin. You don't want it in your life, and you're, you're, you're turning to God to try get his help to get overcome, overcome that stuff. When I'm talking about unchecked sin, it's sin in our life that we don't care is there, we don't mind is there, and we don't want to do anything about. But it's debilitating us, and, 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 and it's infecting relationships and undermining who, who we are and what God wants to do in us. You know, uh, our, our youngest son, Colt, played baseball for one of our big uh, local public schools here, high schools, and um, I'm not going to give the name of the school simply because to protect the guilty, because uh, they, they had uh, three main pitchers, but the first two were absolutely lights-out, deadly pitchers. These guys, they threw stuff that you could hear. You'd hear it, but you couldn't see it. And then when they wanted to put junk and magic on it, it was something. These guys were amazing. And then the third guy was pretty good, but these guys were class their own. But the, first, the best pitcher they had, he kind of liked the 
his press clippings and got into himself and got kind of cocky and arrogant. And he was really bringing, spreading a lot of fungus among the team. Well, the coaches of this team are far more concerned about raising good men and having a spree de corps on a team than they are about winning ball games. Now, obviously they want to win ball games, but it was more important that they raise good men. And because this kid didn't, didn't change his attitude, they benched him and he got so mad he quit. The other one didn't keep up his his studies. And, and they said, look, you're a student first here, and there's some minimums we got to do. He didn't do it, so he, he got cut from the team. They went to the state finals, and the two guys that should have been pitching, one or the other, was those, those two guys that couldn't be called on because of, of stuff in their life that they didn't seem to care about. Fortunately, that third string pitcher, he pulled a game out of himself that was amazing, and they won the state championship that year. Here's the thing. When it comes to calling on us, God isn't looking for talent. He's looking for availability. Amen. To be used by God, we've got to be available. Let's look at the second life lesson. And that is, it's found there in verse 2. He says, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. The second lesson I think is to be, that we, we learn is to be used by God. You have to be teachable. You have to be teachable. We, we think... First of all, this donkey was completely inexperienced. He'd never done this before. We think we have to know more before we can make ourselves available to God. But God didn't need a well-trained stallion for this. He used an ordinary donkey, but he did an extraordinary thing through him. And that's what he wants to do through you and me. And he's not looking for us to know everything, just to be teachable. And he'll teach us as we go. And this donkey had wild tendencies. Remember, it says, get this donkey on which no one has ever sat. Now, donkeys are like horses. They have to be broken. Now, they're broken different ways, but they have to be broken. You just don't go up and get on one. Do you know, we have a really, uh, a fairly large um, herd of um, wild burrows out around Lake Pleasant in the desert surrounding the lake up there. I don't know if you've ever been out there and seen them, but a couple, uh, about a month ago, Darcy and I were out in our boat, and we went and we kind of dropped anchor in one of the little isolated in, inlets there, and while we were there, a couple of them came over the, the knoll there, and I, I actually took a couple of pictures of them. I think they have them there. Oh, isn't they cute? Look at you. Yeah. And, and so taking the picture, it's, suppose I said, hey, Darcy, let's get in there. Let's, let's, let's jump on those things and ride them around here in the hills a little bit and come back and take a swim we wouldn't probably have gotten near them. They wouldn't let us in. But had we got close enough to try to get on their back, if they did not kick us into Yavapai County, they would have launched us into the ionosphere. Now, this donkey was no different. He had the same wild tendencies. He had not been broken, and yet he submitted immediately. And a lot of us have wild tendencies. It's part of our, some things about it that make us kind of, interesting people. But when God calls us, he just wants us to submit. And you know what? He was a thorough student. What's interesting about donkeys is that they, they, they are quick learners. Uh, you know, uh, they've been using the mining industry in, uh, for centuries where, you, you know, you lead them a couple, you just lead them a couple times and they figure it out and they can, they can do that on their own. Well, he didn't have the benefit of someone saying, okay, here's where we're going to go. Bring them back a couple times. Okay, now. No. He just got on him, and he, and, and, and he went where he was supposed to go. See, technically, Christ performed a miracle by being able to ride him. And God wants to be able to call on you 
and do a miracle in you and through you too. I realize we, we just feel inadequate when God calls on us, but I have a friend named Dennis Rainey, a wonderful guy, and he has a, he has a saying, he says, that I just love every time I've heard him say it. He goes like, he says, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines all the time. We're all crooked sticks, but in God's hands, he can, make, he can do what he needs, needs to have done through us. So to be used by God, we've got to be available, we've got to be teachable, the third lesson we can learn from this donkey is that it is found in verse 7. It says, and they brought the colt of Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. I think the third lesson here is to be used by God, you, can, you have to be humble. You have to be humble. Look, uh, when it comes to humility, let's make sure we don't have the wrong concept of humility, because some people think humility is, oh, I'm less than dirt, I'm nothing but pond scum. No, listen, God would not send his son to die for pond scum. God saw intrinsic worth and value in each one of us, primarily because we were made in his image. Now, we're highly flawed people, and we certainly couldn't get to him on our own merits. That's why he had to intervene to save us from the dilemma we were in. But I, I think the best definition of humility is the one that Rick Warren shared in his book, um, uh, purpose-driven life. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's humility. And, and look at this donkey. He didn't resist when they purposely diminished his presence. Look, they placed their sweaty robes over him. Most likely, if we could see a video of this, you probably, if you actually could see it, you, you, most, most likely you, you could just see his nose sticking out the front, his tail wagging at the back, and these little hoofs underneath. Uh, and, and on top of that, he was eager to give Je Jesus the prominent position. You know, when, when a beautiful horse goes by in a parade, it sometimes can upstage the rider. It happened for me one time. We, when we first moved here, we went down to watch the Parada del Sol, and uh, down in Scottsdale, and, it, and, and of course, this is Arizona, a lot of horses, and I've always been kind of enamored with them, and, and so, but this one came by, and it was so close, and I just was staring at the stirrups, because the way the, 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 the saddle maker had decorated them, and what they'd done with the mane and the saddle was just magnificent, and all, and it went on by, and then Dar said, well, isn't that fun to see Senator Goldwater? I said, Where? He was on that horse right there. And I'm looking, I see his back, and oh, man. I miss, he was the star of the parade. I missed it because of the horse. That didn't happen here. Nobody knew anything about the donkey. It just there's something underneath him holding him up. You know, I think when it, when it comes right down to this, we only make one major decision in our life, and that is whose servant are we going to be? And after that, the script is written. And, 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 and don't, don't kid yourself to think that, well, I'm just going to serve myself. Uh-uh, that's a delusion. Anybody thinks that, they're, they're, they're being conned. There's forces out there that don't have our best interests at heart. And if we don't submit to God, we, we by default find ourselves at their mercy. And you know what? One more thing about him when it comes to his uh, humility he did his job without expecting any recognition or reward. Um, I ran across this a long time ago. A little story goes something like this. A little boy came into the kitchen one evening while his mother was fixing supper. 
He handed her a piece of paper he'd been writing on. And after wiping her hands on her apron, she took the note from him and read the following. From mowing the grass, $5. From making my own bed this week, a dollar. For going to the store, 50 cents. For playing with baby brother while you went shopping, 25 cents. For taking out the trash, a dollar. For getting a good report card, $5. And for raking the yard, $2. She looked at him standing there expectantly and left the room. She had done the math in her head. She left the room. So he figured she was going to her purse and get the money he felt he owed her. But instead, she went into an adjacent room, got a pen, flipped his note over, and wrote her own list. <laughs> Came back and handed it to him. And he read, for the nine months I carried you growing inside of me, no charge. For the nights I sat up with you and doctored you and prayed for you, no charge. For the time and the tears, the cost of the year, no charge. For the nights filled with dread and the worries ahead, no charge. For, for advice, the knowledge, the cost of your college, no charge. For the toys, the food, the clothes, for wiping your nose, no charge. Son, when you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge. <laughs> The story goes that, well, when he finished reading her list, he had big tears in his eyes. He looked up at her and said, oh, mama, I sure do love you. And then he took the pen and, and, and flipped it back over to his list. And in big, uh, great big letters, he wrote paid in full. You know, country, country singers have made ballads of this, and they kind of tell the story, and then they sing part of it. it just, everybody tears up. That's not the reaction I had when I heard it. My thought was, if I was that mother... Here's how I was. You think I owe you $14.75? Here's what I think. I think I ought to taser your sorry little ungrateful rear. That's what I think. <laughs> what the heck's wrong with you? And yet, that's what we do to God all the time. He pours his lavish love and care and mercy. Of. We don't acknowledge that. But then, in turn, he calls on us to do uh, 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 pour his love and mercy and care over other people and they're not necessarily going to notice us and thank us. It's just part of loving people and serving God. You know, my heart has gotten sad for Christians over the years that I've watched in the church that just get hot and snippy because they didn't get recognized for some contribution that they made or some effort they put forward. And I always feel feel sad when somebody, like, you know, there's an event and the person gets up at the end, they want to thank the people that helped make it happen. And I thought, uh-oh, you're in trouble just trying to make a list because you're going to forget somebody. And, 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 and they get all upset. You know, there are so, there, there's so many things that we do where we just, no one recognizes it. And yet God calls us to serve. You know, there, there, there are so many things we're called on to do for the Lord and for others. That, that many times they're just mundane services or they're extremely difficult jobs, once again, that no one will notice and nor thank us for. But, but when we have God's heart, meals appear. Diapers get changed. Bills get paid. The invalid gets cared for. Justice is upheld. Righteousness is broken up for. And grace keeps being shown. To be used by God, we've got to be available and teachable and humble. But there's one more lesson I think we can get from this little donkey. It's found in, uh, from the second half of verse 7 on through to verse 10. 
It goes like, the, the, the passage says, and he sat on it, and, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. The fourth lesson I think this donkey teaches us is to be used by God. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be faithful. Look, he was faithful in spite of the obstacles they threw in his way. And they were throwing all kinds of junk. They're cutting down stuff and throwing it out there. They're throwing their clothes out there. Listen, I've tripped over my own shoes in my house. And this wasn't easy terrain he was on. But he made his way through them. You know, obstacles are what we see when we take our eyes off our ultimate goal. He had an ultimate goal to get, to get this king of kings, Jesus, down the side of one mountain, through a valley, and up the other side. You know what? He was also faithful in spite of the distractions. People were screaming. And, and that can be confusing to an animal and, and frightening to an animal. Uh, it, it certainly was him. You know, I, I about, oh, just under, about 18, 19 years ago, I, uh, I started going out on a trail ride. I do go out with these guys every year. Over in New Mexico, and uh, uh, about usually 50, 60 guys show up, and a lot of them I've been riding with for uh, all that time. And this isn't by the this isn't a Christian trail ride, so don't come up asking me, say, "Hey, I'd like to forget it." It's not that. These are there's only a couple followers of Jesus in the group, that, but these are guys that basically they live hard, they ride hard, they drink hard, and they swear hard, but they're great guys. And we've just been friends for a long time. In fact, about seven, eight years ago, they said, hey, would you be willing to do maybe a cowboy church before we all leave on Sunday? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Well, you know, one thing I've learned from those chair rides is what little it takes to spook a horse. I remember one time we were riding along and, and this guy's horse just sent him skyward and he went rolling down this steep hill with a lot of rocks on it because the guy on a horse nearby had sneezed. Now, I got to admit, the sneeze was like 8.2 in a Richter scale. This thing was huge, but it just took this horse by its spot, and boom, he went, well, these people are screaming. They're screaming, and, 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 and yet he stayed on it. And, and by, by the way, they were singing praises to God, weren't they? But sometimes the voices that are screaming at you are screaming criticism at you for, for uh, how... how uh, inefficient or incompetent they think you are to do the job God's called you to do. You know, uh, Daryl uh, was our pastor for 25 years, and when God called him to be the president of Phoenix Seminary, I was on the elder board at the time, and so they uh, assembled a pulpit committee to find our next pastor. And so Daryl left the end of January, so this February, around mid-March, towards the end of March, I was coming through the narthex here on Sunday morning, it's crowded with people, and there was this high-powered CEO who, uh, uh, he's passed away since then, so I can tell the story, but anyway, his name will remain anonymous, but anyway, he pulled me aside, and said, Kimmel, you're, you're on that, that committee, right? Tim, you're on that? Yeah, yeah, I am. He says, what the heck is taking you guys so long finding us a senior pastor? And everybody stopped. I said, hey, this isn't an NBA franchise we have here. This is going to take a while. I mean, the guy we're looking for, most likely, no one's ever heard of him. He's high in the trees. He's not low, low uh, picking fruit. He's high in the trees, and he's deep in the woods. It's going to take us a while. How long? Probably about two years. 
He went, that's not, that's crazy. And by the way, it took us two years before we installed Jamie. But, but you know, I said, hey, don't worry, everything's fine. But none of us had ever been in a pulpit committee before. And, and, and he, but he said, this is not how you do it. Well, you got to understand, just stay faithful and take your orders and your cues from God. You know, and one final thing, he was faithful even though the burden that he carried was enormous. He trudged on. He was a foal. He was a young donkey. He wasn't full grown. Jesus was a full grown man. Proportionally, Jesus was a very heavy load for him. And even though he never carried a rider or one that heavy, he went down the steep incline of the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, and up the steep incline to the Temple Mount. I have a friend who, uh, quite a horseman himself, and he, um, there's several years ago, he was down in Puerto Vallarta on vacation. And he was staying in one of those beautiful hotels that backs up to the harbor and on, a one, on one side. And the other side had a big veranda that was right along on the boulevards or one of the streets, in the busy street. A lot of people out there. And he would sit out there in the morning, have his coffee, and in the afternoon he loved to sit out there and just watch people. And what, what, what as he was there, he, he noticed every once in a while, you'd see a, a donkey come down let, uh, uh, with a load of bricks on it and would come on by and then a little bit later that donkey would come back. And there were two or three of these donkeys that they would come down individually carrying bricks and then they'd come back. And this was just fascinating him. So uh, after seeing this a couple of days, he decided to follow one. And sure enough, he followed it down and went down and took a left and came up and they were building a big hotel. And the big steps were there and the walls and all. And he went on up the steps just by himself and went on up and disappeared. And then a little bit later he came down. And so he followed him out of town. And he went through several streets, and, and, all, and, he, and there was a guy that had a brick kiln, and he was making bricks. And my friend can speak fluent Spanish, and so he's talking with him about it. He said, but I'm just fascinated with these donkeys of yours. And, and it, uh, you know, uh, they, they just go on their own. He said, yeah, it's not really hard. We, we kind of train them. We just, we just have to lead them a couple of times, and they know where to go. And then they go to where they last were. And so if, if the men want him to move and bring the bricks to another place, after they unload them, they'll take them over to where they want him to be next, and then they send him, and he'll come to there. He said, but aren't you afraid... I'm going out by, does somebody will steal them? Well, yeah, uh, no, these these are very valuable. And so if someone stole them, they'd be in a lot of trouble if the police caught them. So no, we don't worry about that too much. But you know, one one time we thought one had been stolen. We'd send it out later in the afternoon and it didn't return. We waited and waited. And then we went down to the work site and it was all locked up and everything. And and we thought it had been stolen, but but we, we found it in the morning. In fact, the workers found it. Uh, they found he, he was in, in the building waiting to be unloaded. He had he'd come up late, and the workers in that area had left, and the other workers didn't know he was there. They had they'd locked it all up, and that donkey had stood there all night with that load of bricks. But he knew he couldn't leave until he was unloaded. Listen, sometimes God puts some pretty heavy burdens on us, doesn't he? And there, and there, and and. and and I've heard people try to comfort folks in these situations by saying something like, you know, God will never give you a burden you can't carry or a task you can't do. I don't know where people come up with this kind of nonsense. That is hogwash. God gives us burdens we can't carry and tasks we can't pull off all the time. He just never gives us a burden he can't carry. 
or a task he can't accomplish through us. And that's why we have to trust in him. We just need to be faithful, and he will give us strength. God wants to call on you as an emissary of his love, truth, mercy, and grace to make a huge impact in other people's lives. My question for you as we come to a conclusion here is, are you where you need to be right now? Are you willing to step up to his calling even though you may have to learn as you go? Are you willing to do it even though no one notices or thanks you? And, and, and how are you doing with the load you're carrying? You see, God doesn't do this because he wants to be tough on it. God does this out of his love for us, and he wants to use these as opportunities to make us better people, stronger people, more loving and more gracious. And Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he wasn't first willing to do for us. Remember, five days later after this parade, he was available to his father to die in our place. It says he learned obedience through his suffering. He was teachable. He was, he was humble. I mean, they, they, he hung there on that cross naked before those people. And he was faithful all the way to the end. When the price was paid and he called, cried out, it is finished. He did what he came to do, even though it was huge. Now, I, I think it's hard to be used by God if you don't even know him. This God that we've been talking about, who sent his son to take your sin and mine on his shoulder and die in our place and pay the price so we could have relationship with God through his forgiveness, have eternal life through him. If you're on the outside looking in like Darcy said she was back there when she was a teenager, when we're done here, there, there will be some people up here that would be glad to talk with you and pray with you. And you might be here listening to this thing and say, you know, I, those characteristics haven't been center stage in my life, and that's probably why God can't use me the way he'd like to. And you want to talk and pray with somebody, come on up here after, and, and they'd be glad to do that. Because to be used by God, we've got to be available, teachable, humble, and faithful. Now, as I close here, you might say, wait a minute, this is Tim Kimmel. Doesn't he, he's, he's the guy that speaks on grace about marriage and parenting and all this stuff. What, what, what's the deal? Why are you going off, off message? I just did speak to you about grace. Because grace is, it is available. It is teachable. It's humble. It's faithful. Grace is living responsive to God's heart. It's outwardly focused, desiring the best for other people and treating the people you love the way he treats you. And speaking of relationships, I want to mention to you that on the 13th of October, we're going to have the Grace-Filled uh, Marriage Conference here. And it's for everybody, whether you're uh, just married or you've been married a while. Darcy's going to be teaching some of it with me. It's going to be fun. It's entertaining. And it's a relational game changer because, you know, so many couples think that the big, the main ingredient they need to have in their, in their marriage is love. And a lot of them have it, but the missing ingredient they need to have more than anything else is grace. And we're going to show you how to make it the default mode of your marriage and, and how it, what it looks like in everyday marriage. And, and when, when conflict comes, how it comes to your rescue, even what grace-filled sex is, looks like. And, and, and we'll just show you how to bring the best out of each other. Child care is available. I hope you sign up for that. You can go online and do that. We're going to have a lot of fun. One final thing. I've just handed you all a piece of gold, whether you know it or not. You know, you might be somewhere and someone says, hey, could you do a devotional for us? Or maybe you're out camping with some friends. Could you do something around the campfire? Or, or, or maybe you have to do a little homily somewhere for a group of people. Maybe even your, the people you work with. Your associates are people who work for you. You want, to, you want to build them up. I just gave you a great outline to help them with. And so let's see if you got it. As we close this thing down here, 
if you had to give this lesson to somebody else, what are the things that you need to have in you when God calls you in to, 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 to be used by God? First of all, you have to be what? Available. Secondly, teachable. Thirdly, humble. And fourthly, faithful. Lord, thank you for these folks. They're wonderful people, and I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they're watching. I'm glad they're listening. But Lord, most of all, we want to hear you. We want to respond to you. You're a wonderful, wonderful God. And we thank you for how much you loved us, how much your son gave everything he had for us. We thank you for the way your spirit can guide us. And now as we focus in on your Lord's table and take these elements, I pray that we will see you even more than, than we ever have. And Lord, feel your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.